I remember the rumbling. It felt like a freight train. And then I wake up feeling a swaying. The tornado tore through our small town like a giant weed whacker. I have vivid memories as a, as a child of going into, we used to have this storm cellar right by our house and we would go there. This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. Hello and welcome to another episode of Design Safe Radio. I'm your host, Dan Zaner, and today on the show we have my colleague Lori Peake, who is the director of the Natural Hazards Center and a professor of sociology at the University of Colorado in Boulder. She studies vulnerable populations in natural disasters. She's conducted field investigations in the aftermath of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, Hurricane Katrina, the BP oil spill, Christchurch earthquakes, Joplin Tornado, Superstorm Sandy, and Hurricane Matthew. She's currently leading an NSF-funded project to establish two initiatives for the hazards and disaster research community, the Social Science Extreme Events Reconnaissance, or SCR, and Interdisciplinary Science and Engineering Extreme Events Reconnaissance, ICIR, platform and network. And she's leading a new program, which we're going to talk about today from the NSF, called Converge, which is an effort for inter- interdisciplinary disaster research methods. She's a member of the social science team for the National Institute of Standards and Technology Center of Excellence for Risk-Based Community Resilience Planning, working on a bunch of other stuff. And uh, I'm super excited for you to hear our interview today. This is one of my favorites and so excited to welcome my new colleague, Lori Peake. Today we have an awesome guest for you. I've been looking forward to talking with uh, this lady for a while. We have Lori Peak from CU Boulder, who is uh, the newly minted PI for a new member of the NARI Network, the Converge Center. Uh, great to have you here today, Lori. I've heard so much about you and looking forward to talking with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you as well. Well, let's get started with your background and a little bit about you, where you're from, a little bit about your your family, your, and how you got into career as a, uh, a hazard scientist. Yes, so thank you for asking. I actually was born and raised in a really small town in Kansas. I grew up in Waverly, Kansas, which currently has a population of less than 600 people. And I went through the Waverly Public Schools and I did my undergraduate degree in sociology at Ottawa University, which is a small liberal arts school in Eastern Kansas. And then I ended up moving to Colorado and I did a master's in education at Colorado State University. And then I did my PhD at the University of Colorado Boulder in the Department of Sociology. And that is actually when my career as a hazards and disaster researcher was actually launched because while I was a graduate student here at CU Boulder, my first semester, I was actually hired to be the graduate research assistant at the Natural Hazard Center, which is now the center that as of 2017, I rejoined to become the, the director of the center. Wow. Yeah. So this place, Daniel, holds the most special place in my heart. Um, and yeah, I, I, I actually entered graduate school um, as a sociologist. I was really interested in studying 
race and class and gender inequality. A lot of sociologists focus on social stratification. Mm -hmm. And so I came into graduate school and then it happened that there was this opening at the Natural Hazard Center for this research assistant position. And Dennis Maletti was the director at the time and he became my advisor. And I still remember at my first meeting with Dennis, he sat me down and he said, you know, what do you want to do as a sociologist? And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm really interested in social and economic inequality. And he said, he said, that works. Those things matter in disasters. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, if we like you and you like us, he said, we will we'll fund your graduate education at the University awesome. of Colorado at Boulder. And he said, but the only key is that you need to write a dissertation that has to do with hazards or disasters and I didn't know it at the time. That was in August of 1999, but sitting there in his office, that was such a crucial turning point in my life because there has hardly been a day since August 1999 that I haven't thought about hazards and disasters and their social ramifications. So that was really how I ended up here today was a bit of accident of, of timing that there happened to be a position at the center, but I have not had one regret in my life and it felt so about studying this area and it felt so fortunate to be able to work in this space. That's so cool. And it's just great to be able to, to, I mean, I can see on your face the passion that you've got for your work. It's, that's just really refreshing because you don't get that as much as you would hope um, in, in the sciences sometimes. Um, what what led to this passion for natural hazards? You, was there an impact growing up in Kansas? You know, I mean, you're in Tornado Alley there, of course. Uh, was was there something that influenced that growing up? Yeah, that is such an interesting question, and in, in fact, it is uh, true that it, I did have some distinctly Kansas experiences with with hazards. So my grandparents' house was actually, their their barn was basically destroyed by a tornado and their house was partially mm. damaged by a tornado when I was a child. And I definitely have really vivid memories. I, I grew up with three brothers and I have vivid memories as a, as a child of going into, we used to have this storm cellar right by our house and we would go there during tornado watches and warnings. Mm. And um, I definitely remember that day when my grandparents' house was struck by a, a tornado. And so some very personal experience with that as a Kansan. But I think what has most captivated me about the, the field was really when I started graduate school and started doing research in this area and had the opportunity from the outset to recognize the multidisciplinarity of this field. And I found that really intellectually engaging to think mm -hmm. about disasters happen at the interface of the built and natural and social environments. And so they really require multi and interdisciplinary collaborations. And so intellectually, I was really interested in this area of study, but I also, I think what has captured me maybe the most about this field and kept me in this field is just the, the care that scholars and practitioners and policymakers who work in this space really bring to the hazards and disaster research and practice enterprise because almost every person I have met in this field, they not only care about the research and the science, they also care so deeply about bringing that research and science 
to communities to try to help them to become more resilient to mm -hmm. natural hazards. And so that is, is really what gets me up in the morning and keeps me so excited about being able to, the possibility of being able to work in this field. Yeah, that's, that's so important. And something I've found to be true as well, as I talked to, you know, some of your colleagues across the country, just that, yeah, that care that you talked about is, is really present. And it's just a great group of people to be around. This, this community is just so welcoming and, and, uh, and focuses on, you know, what really matters to people at, in the most fundamental levels. It's just really, really cool. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the Hazard Center at, at CU Boulder. You, you mentioned it's, it's this historic center. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the mission and kind of what goes on there? Yes, absolutely. So the Natural Hazard Center here at the University of Colorado Boulder is one of the nation's oldest social science and multidisciplinary hazards and disaster research centers. And our center was actually founded by Gilbert White, who is a renowned geographer who's the architect mm. of the National Flood Insurance Program. And Gilbert founded this center soon after completing the first assessment of natural hazards in the United States. And one of the key findings from the first assessment was that we know more than we have ever known about rising hazards threats and disaster losses, but we're continuing, even though we know more, we're also losing more. And so the first assessment was about assessing what we know in this space, but also trying to figure out what we can do to try to mitigate or reduce those hazards losses. And so mm -hmm. the Hazard Center was really born out of that idea that in order to reduce losses, that we must bring researchers and practitioners and policymakers together. And so that's a little bit of our history and where we are today after 40 more than 40 years of being in existence our natural hazard center we stand for a just and equitable world where knowledge is applied to ensure that humans live in harmony with nature and so that that is what we are all about in terms of our vision for the world and so what we do every single day. So our mission is really fourfold. We're about translating and transferring knowledge to the various communities that, that need the knowledge. We're about facilitating connections between researchers, practitioners, and policymakers. We support as well as create new social science knowledge through our programs of research. And then we also are about training and mentoring a diverse next generation of scholars. And so we are busy every single day with carrying out that mission as a natural hazard center. And we have a really great uh, research staff and professional staff here at the Natural Hazard Center, as well as many graduate students and undergraduate students and postdocs who are here. And so it's just a really uh, wonderful place to, to work and to be. And also, it's just such a, a gift because much of the Hazard Center's mission is about actually working with other centers and other communities of practice and research and trying to bring them together. And so it is such a great gift to be able to interchange regularly with the researchers and practitioners in this community. That is so awesome. And I'm getting goosebumps like with your, <laughs> you know, hearing your, your, your mission that's so clearly and well stated. And, and that's really cool 
to those intersections um, that you talked about and making sure that knowledge is transferred into practice where it's needed most. Um, how has that shown up in, in recent events? Like um, I was just looking at an article about Hurricane Matthew impacting the prison population down in the Gulf of Florida or the wildfires out in California. How is the work that you guys are doing um, going to be serving populations like that in, in events that are going on now and in the future? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for asking that. And thank you for the, the very first example you gave actually connects to the answer that I was going to try to give to this really good question. So uh, some of the, one of the, one of the things that the Hazard Center has done for a very long time. So the Hazard Center administers this quick response research grant program, and we've actually administered that program for over 35 years. And mm. it's funded by the National Science Foundation and then the very and a variety of federal mission agencies who make contributions to the National Science Foundation and the Hazard Center clearing information clearinghouse grant. And what that has allowed us to do as a center is to run this small grant program that is essentially founded on this recognition of this need that after a disaster happens, researchers oftentimes want to go out and collect perishable data that they can then use to seed future publications, larger grant proposals, and, and to learn from, from that information that is oftentimes ephemeral in the aftermath mm -hmm. of disaster. And so that first example you gave about prison populations in the aftermath of disaster, we actually funded a couple of years ago uh, through this quick response program, I a wonderful emerging, emerging researcher, Carly Purdom, who is finishing up her PhD at Louisiana State University. And she actually has done this really fascinating and crucially important research on uh, how prisoners are increasingly being used for labor in these emergency disaster response situations. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing, it grew into, it started as this quick response study and then it grew into what has become her really groundbreaking dissertation in this space. And so to your question about what do we do at the Hazard Center when, when these big events unfold, I think one answer is that, that we have this quick response program and we really try to facilitate research in the aftermath of disasters. But then the more fundamental answer to your question is that the Hazard Center has long stood for mitigating hazards losses. And mm. so in fact, the Hazard Center was founded in response to this need to move knowledge into action so that we can turn the tide and shorten recovery times, lessen the amount of dollars lost and lives lost in disasters and, and reduce the human suffering. And so I think the other answer to your question is constantly looking at these events and asking the question of what could we do different or better or what can we change in the future so that we don't keep replicating and repeating these disaster losses over time. So yeah. that's that's really what we stand for. We want to figure out how can we move our research knowledge into action so that we lessen the impacts of disaster into the future. Mm. That's really awesome and, and cool. It just Cool to hear like how 
you know, these big events can lead to, to learning and, and hopefully learning, learning from the, both the good things and the, and the mistakes that have been made in, you know, before, during, and after these events so that those, those losses can be mitigated in the future. Um, the follow up to that, I was wondering how you, at, at how the center interacts with um, other response organizations like, uh, you know, the Red Cross and FEMA and, and newer ones like Team Rubicon that are, that are coming up and having a really big impact. How do you um, kind of navigate all that and, and support each other? Yes. So one of the things that the center has done for 43 years now is the center has hosted this annual natural hazards research and applications workshop in Colorado. And it's almost always in the first or second week of July in Colorado. And that has served as really, it has really helped to create a center of gravity for the hazards and disaster research community, which is, as your question suggested, is constantly changing and evolving. There are new actors and new stakeholders who move into the field. There are organizations that maybe used to be central to disaster response and recovery programs that maybe don't work in that space any longer. And so one of the, one of the main, most public or outward facing events that the Hazard Center actually has had the gift of organizing for over four decades has been this Hazards Workshop, which provides us for sort of less than one week in July, provides us this opportunity to come together. But then our hope with the Hazards Workshop is that it energizes and inspires and uh, connects people, reconnects people, as well as creates new connections that then will carry us throughout the next year. And so that's one of the big things we do. But then throughout the year, we also work very closely with a variety of partner organizations to try to bring the work that they are doing to these different communities that we serve as a hazard center. And so that's where we have a publications program that we run through the center. So we have a bi-weekly newsletter letter called Disaster Research News You Can Use, or DR, um, and you could sign up for that newsletter for free on our website. We also have a new publication that's called Research Counts, where leading researchers have been writing these short 700 to 750 word statements about a key research insight, and then through the Hazard Center, we try to get those research findings out to these different organizations and communities that are all working in the hazards and disaster space, but may not have the time to read the longer journal publication or truly may not have the access to it because we know a lot of that information is hidden behind journal paywalls. Yeah. So as you're hearing, Daniel, a oh, lot yeah. of you is about trying to connect and it's about in some ways, I might even say trying to democratize knowledge to get knowledge into the hands of the people who may be able to use it and who may really need it most because they're on the ground serving these populations that we as researchers may be studying and learning things about, but then how do we get that, that mm. knowledge into action? That's awesome. And if any of those, those stories will lend themselves to a podcast episode, let me know. I'd be, I would love to interview more researchers from that you're working with. So. Oh my gosh, Daniel, I will, I will definitely send you and I'll send all the, I know that you're millions of listeners on Design Safe Radio. I hope they will go and look Not at Not millions it. yet, but I appreciate it. 
we're aspirational yes. that, that um, I hope they will go and check out that research count series and the disaster research because they they are just good mechanisms for sort of seeing what's going on in the community. So yeah, that's awesome. And speaking of ch the change in the evolving community and what's going on, let's get let's get into talking about the Converge Center grant that you just, <clears throat> excuse me, just got and how that's going to change the NARI network um, with the addition of a more focused social science center. Yay. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank you for um, just thank you for having me on to speak about that. We are so excited about the Converge facility and are so excited to join this network and, and to join the other NERI facilities. And so I guess the first thing I want to say to you about the Converge facility is what it's all about. And so it's actually named Converge in honor and recognition of the really growing body of knowledge related to convergence science, convergence theory that is all about how we can come together across diverse disciplines, frameworks, ways of knowing how we come together to solve the world's toughest problems. And that's what convergence in its most simple definition is really all about. It's, uh, it's one of the National Science Foundation's 10 big ideas is actually mm. around convergence science. And I think this growing recognition as we have uh, greater environmental and social and economic problems. How do we come together across our disciplinary lines to think differently, to bring our different theories and perspectives and methods to bear so that we can better characterize the problem, better understand the problem, and do something about the issue. And I think that natural hazards researchers, convergence, this language of convergence may be slightly different or new, but I don't think this process or approach is new for hazards or disaster researchers because we have been doing this for a really long time because disasters do disrupt built environments and human environments and natural environments. And so we've been doing this work and the hope is that the convergence facility will be able to systematize that and provide a structure for us to come together under the NERI umbrella with the already really strong engineering facilities that have already been established to also bring those social science perspectives and the social scientific expertise under that NERI umbrella as well. Mm -hmm. So really, really excited about this. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and you're right. It's Time after time, we're, we're talking to folks like, uh, you know, Tracy kajuski Korea and David Johnson and, and David Pravat and who are have these multidisciplinary, either explicit appointments or at least approaches to their research that comes up over and over in, in these uh, these great natural hazards researchers. And it's just a, another great example of of how um, this community is kind of leading the way in science of, of this interdisciplinary approach. Um, do you see the, the Converge Center as being a, an example of how the NSF can do uh, similar inter interdisciplinary work in other areas? 
I, I, I hope that the natural hazards research, research space, because of the progress that has been made over the decades in this field, I, I hope that it might serve as an inspiration for other scholarly areas. And I hope that the Converge facility itself may help to further this work that is already happening while also sparking new possibilities for inquiry, new possibilities for teamwork, mm. new possibilities for collaboration, and ultimately new scientific breakthroughs that are really happening at the interface of engineering and social sciences in particular. That's so yeah, awesome. I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited and I'm really thankful that the, the NERI network has welcomed us into the network so wholeheartedly. And I will say that I had the honor of serving on the NERI science plan committee. And one of the discussions that happened in the context of creating that science plan was really about the, the need to bridge these divides that, that engineers as well as social scientists, they recognize how the built environment influences health and well-being and, and many of these fundamental social, social areas of exploration and vice versa, that what is happening in the social sphere can then influence our decision-making around land use planning and oh, yeah. and, and so forth. And so there are all these dynamic interconnections that I think through the process of the NERI science plan writing that we really felt that and we were really excited about that. So again, it's just really exciting to, to see this come to, to, this fruit to come to bear and to see what's next. That's awesome. That's, that's something I've been learning a lot about lately. Um, We'll have to talk about this probably more offline, but uh, from uh, Larry Yatch, the, the retired Navy SEAL, I've been kind of studying under um, on the kind of organizational effectiveness, team building, uh, but also kind of mindset change tools is how much our environment affects our, our mindsets, our behaviors, our conscious choices, our, our habits, our, our moods and our decision making. And that can really affect how homes are built, how communities are put together, <clears throat> and how you know our society works. Uh, so it's, it's really, really cool to see this applied in a, in a scientific way. Absolutely. And that is so wonderful to hear how you're thinking about this. And I think one of the things with the founding of Converge, sort of the, the theoretical underpinning, how do we, how do we, get to that kind of work and develop those kinds of insights that you're describing. So what undergirds the, the Converge facility is really the convergence literature, but also the science of team science literature that is all about that. How do we bring the right people into the room who have these diverse perspectives and bring different methodological toolkits and different theoretical visions. How do we bring them all into a room together? How do we get them to talk to one another knowing that they oftentimes bring different languages? <laughs> yeah. Their different training and their different educational backgrounds. How can we bring them into a room together and work most effectively? Yeah. So co 
co-define a problem, not just have one discipline that's sort of the strong discipline that's sort mm -hmm. of the way. How do we actually co-define problems may mean that we first need to develop a process together where we're able to understand our different disciplinary perspectives and theoretical and empirical backgrounds and so forth. So how do we do that? And that's why the, the science of team science has been really a powerful motivator for this work because it, it really, in some ways, privileges process over product. Yes. That we have to have our process first. And once we can develop that together as engineers and social scientists and, and develop shared languages and ways yeah. of knowing and ways of creating meaning that then we might be able to move together effectively. So that's also sort of the, the research undergirding of the Converge facility is figuring out when do teams work and how can we work effectively together, the most effectively together yeah. so that we can define these problems at the really, really at the outer, outer edges and, and, and figure out where are the transformative breakthroughs possible in this space. And so that's sort of the, the undergirding for the Converge facility. But then we're also doing a lot of very practical, what I think are sort of practical infrastructure building through the Converge facility that I'm, I'm really excited about as well. Great. I'm going to have to get you and Larry introduced. <laughs> you get along really well. Um, <laughs> So some of the, some of those practical things I wanted to see like what what are you guys up to in the next few months like projects how are you working with some of the the Nary facilities and also what would you like to see from um, folks developing proposals to to use your your facility Yes okay There may so. be a few PhD students or or uh, early professors out there looking for uh, their their next grant idea Yes. And so I will thank you so much for asking that. And I, I'll start with the what are we what are we doing and moving forward with right now? And especially how does that connect to the other facilities? And so I am so happy to report that actually one so there are five major tasks that are associated with Converge. And um I will start with task task five, the fifth task, which actually involves a partnership with DesignSafe. And I'm starting with that task because just a couple of weeks ago, some of the wonderful team members from DesignSafe came here to Boulder and we actually had a meeting with Maria Esteva, who is the, the data librarian for DesignSafe. Mm. And she has already made she and the team at, at UT Austin through DesignSafe have actually already made all of this incredible progress with building out the engineering data models through DesignSafe. And so the engineers have already, they are using DesignSafe. They have been publishing their data sets on DesignSafe. And so one of our tasks through Converge involves a subcontract with UT Austin and DesignSafe where we are going to build out a social science data model and also an interdisciplinary data model so that social scientists, as well as researchers working in the context of interdisciplinary teams, 
can publish their data, but also can publish their data instruments, their data collection protocols. And so what we did a couple mm. of weeks ago with the group from UT Austin, a group of social scientists, as well as interdisciplinary researchers, we sat down and we literally drew out our data collection process for Maria and Craig and Tim. And we sat there and we talked through how do we actually collect data? What do longitudinal studies require in terms of our instruments and our secondary mm. data and so forth? And so that's one of the first things that we're moving forward on is building out this social science and the interdisciplinary data model in collaboration with DesignSafe. Cool. Wow. Yeah. We're really excited and we hope that this is going to provide a space for social science and interdisciplinary hazards and disaster researchers to start publishing their, um, their data sets and making them publicly available and also provide the opportunity to publish their, their instruments and, and other materials that we know that social scientists oftentimes uh, create in their process of preparing to collect the data. So that's one of the tasks that we're really excited about. And another task that involves a partnership with another NERI facility is we're really excited that we have also a partnership with the NERI Rapid facility, which they yeah. have already made amazing progress with building out their RAP or their Rapid app. And so what we're going to be doing is working with the incredible team at the University of Washington to help with the social science component, which they already have made progress on that, but making sure that the, the social science components of the Rapid app will allow for, again, social scientists to go out and use that mobile application in the context of reconnaissance as well as longer term recovery research and also that it'll be useful for these multi and interdisciplinary teams that involve engineers and social scientists who are going out together to do let's say damage assessments along with qualitative interviews or population-based surveys for example. Mm -hmm. That's that's really cool and yeah that team at, at UW is a is pretty amazing I get to see a little bit of their um you know, work firsthand at a workshop over the over the summer out, out on the campus in Seattle. It's just amazing what what they're doing and and have been doing since their their official launch this September. With all of the hazards that have been happening over the past couple of months, it's been really amazing to see you know deployment after deployment of all these great instruments with really really talented teams. It's, uh, yes, really cool Daniel, to see them did get you go through the training at the? Did you do oh, the yeah. facility training? Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, yeah, spent four days out there and you know, learned how to, how to use survey equipment and the drones and you know what's going into the wrap and everything is really cool. <laughs> that is fantastic, and I have heard I haven't been able to go through one of their trainings yet, but I have heard nothing but great things about the the training sessions and, and definitely the pictures that I've seen from them look so dynamic and that people are really out there learning to use the instruments, which is so exciting. Yeah, it was it's pretty amazing. A lot of, I mean, stuff I'd never thought of of using in my career before. Um, you know, really got me thinking like, oh man, maybe I should get a master's in the you know, <laughs> go for, you know, go for the research side of this. It's, it's not going to happen anytime soon, but um <laughs> it, was, it was really cool. 
Yeah. And and it just, I love hearing you say that because that's what, when I went to one of the workshops that they held at the University of Washington, um, and it was this moment where I was thinking about, yeah, as a sociologist, I've never thought about using drones in my research, but it's that moment where all of a sudden it's like, oh, what if I did, what if I was collaborating with somebody who used drones more regularly? What kinds of questions, again, what might we be able to ask together and Mm. what new knowledge might we be able to create through working together at that interface with the new technology and and so forth and so i agree with you it's just really um exciting to see the new sorts of questions that are coming out of uh, people being able to have access to these facilities And I had the opportunity a few months ago to visit the Wall of Wind. Facility. Oh man, isn't that great? <laughs> oh, it's a, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's truly amazing. And sitting there and talking to Arundhati and his team, and and again just seeing the school children that are coming through, and just the number of people that have been able to have access to these facilities and how it is sparking new questions and it's sparking new ideas for collaboration. And I think that sort of um, to your question about what what new ideas may come out of this and so forth. I think that one of the things, again, if convergence is about bringing us together and helping us to connect, I hope that that's gonna be one of the things that is gonna come out of this whole process is that creation of a new scientific plan that is really that really encourages us to think across these boundaries and to ask those new kinds of questions. Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You you were um, talking about some of the uh, those five main areas you're you're focusing on. What were the other th- the other three? I think you yes. got to five and four. Yes, and so the task one, we are creating a new leadership core for the first time ever for mm. rapid reconnaissance research. And so that leadership core is actually bringing together Julio as the leader of the network coordinating office, who's really the, our big, big umbrella for everything under NERI. And then it also includes uh, the Joe Wartman and, the, the, and Jeff Berman, the team at the University of Washington with the rapid facility and uh, and um, it involves Ellen Rathji and Tim Cockerell at the University of Texas Austin at Design Safe, and so those are two of the NERI facilities, along with the Converge Center, that are providing support for the rapid reconnaissance research teams. And so the leadership core is bringing those NERI groups together, but then also bringing together the EERs or the mm. Extreme Events Research or Reconnaissance Networks. And so that includes. The geotechnical group, STEER, the structural and civil group, and then SCR, the social science group. And so part of task one is about bringing these extreme events groups, the leaders of these groups in the NERI facilities together so that we can have a more coordinated plan. As Joy Pauschke at NSF, I know that she asks a lot at meetings that she's at, <laughs> what would happen if, if tomorrow this Cascadia fault ruptures? Right, yeah. We have a catastrophic event along the Pacific Northwest that has obviously been 
envisioned by many journalists as well as researchers who have spent, spent their careers thinking about these issues. And so Joy oftentimes poses that question of, of what if this happens tomorrow? And so task one is about bringing that leadership core together so that that we can have forward progress so that we can develop guidance for research community the various research communities mm. that that work in this post-disaster space and then task two is about furthering the the work that we started about a year ago here under the social science extreme events research network and also the interdisciplinary science and extreme events research network and so the SCR and the ICR it's about furthering those efforts to map and to identify and to help coordinate the social science and interdisciplinary research teams and then the third task is is about actually funding and supporting rapid reconnaissance research in the social science and interdisciplinary spheres and so part of Converge is that we do have some financial support uh, available to help with these interdisciplinary and social science teams to help facilitate the research that they're doing after mm. disasters. And so that's some of the, the work that we are going to be doing through Converge uh, in the immediate future as well as over the longer term. Wow, that is a whole lot of really exciting stuff. And uh, yeah. man, but just excited to be even a small part of it. It's going to yeah, be really cool. Thank you for helping to bring a voice to it. This is actually the first interview that I've done about Converge since it was funded. And so thank I'm you sure the that. first of many, it's going to be, I mean, with the breadth of uh, expertise you've got going over there, uh, you can't, can't, can't stay hidden for too long. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And in all seriousness, I have to say with just coming off of the, the catastrophic 2017 hurricane season and, and the 2018 hurricane season and now with the wildfires that are still unfolding in California with the number of people that are still unaccounted for, we are we are confronting this future right this this mm. future that is now that is the everybody sort of says almost off in the hazards and disaster field it's this rising frequency and intensity of hazards losses and we we're we're seeing the effects of this right now unfold in communities and so i think the sense of urgency that that those of us working in the sense in the space feel about making sure that we are doing the best research possible, that we are bringing together diverse teams of researchers who are asking new questions, who are then capacitated to bring that knowledge that they're generating into action to make a real difference. I think the, that with every fresh disaster, that sense of urgency increases. And so I think at the outset with having all of, of this new facility and seeing all of these major disasters unfold, I think it's just only driven us even more around here to get up every single day and to figure out how can we generate forward movement in this space alongside of the incredible researchers who are working in this field, as well as helping to bring new researchers into the space because it's clear that we need a 21st century workforce that are really prepared, that are educated, that are ready to do this work because the it feels like the disasters are unfolding 
more fast and more fierce in these sorts of ways that are going to mm. require that our research community be ready to respond and that we have the information and the tools and the technology that we need so that we can we can move forward in in the face of rising hazards and disaster losses and and really do something with all of the this amazing research that's being generated yeah absolutely i mean anybody anybody out there listening who wants to get into uh, a really fulfilling and and uh you know stable career for the long haul get into hazards research <laughs> oh my god oh my goodness it is it, it 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 even today i was just just before i joined this this moment with you daniel and joined this show today um i was talking to one of my former graduate students and she was saying exactly she lives in southern california oh man she said, I'm doing all of the FEMA trainings that I can do, and I'm trying to figure out exactly where to get involved and how to get involved because she was saying exactly that, that she has this sociological training, and now she wants to figure out where can she take the knowledge and skills that she attained through her graduate education and how can she put them to the best use on the ground. And so um, I think that more and more students, I also, when I teach, last time I taught my graduate level class, I had engineers in the class, I had journalism majors, I had environmental policy majors, and I had sociology majors all in that room together, and they were all asking that question. They were all like, we see the rising disaster losses. How can we bring this knowledge from our classroom? How can we bring this new methodological skill set that we're attaining, and how can we make a difference with it? And so that's what gives me hope is that I'm seeing these new generations of researchers, they're asking, um, they're asking really grounded questions and they're also ground, grounded in this desire to make a difference. And so that's what gives me hope. And I hope that all these NERI facilities, each one of them are doing such exciting things with training next generation researchers. And this work is so needed. And that's what I was thinking might be a really exciting podcast as well as thinking about this work workforce development mm, question. How yeah. are we making sure that these researchers who are being trained, how are we tracking and evaluating what they're doing over time? Because I know they're making a difference in this world. And I'm just curious where a lot of these researchers are, are landing and what they're doing and so forth. So I, I bet they would have some really inspiring stories for this amazing podcast series as well. Yeah, definitely. If any, anybody out there is, uh, you know, itching to uh, tell their story about how your uh, natural hazards research career is going, let me know. <laughs> yes. Pretty easy to get a hold of. <laughs> oh man, this has been really excellent. I, I think you've mentioned a couple of um, publications that that your center puts out, but uh, wanted to give you one last chance to put a, a plug for any ways we can follow along with the great work that you and your colleagues are doing out oh. there. Well, thank you for that. So our, yeah, thank you so much. And our, our Hazard Center website is hazards.colorado.edu. And we're currently in the process of building our Converge website. So it's not up yet, but it will be soon. And it's going to be converge.colorado.edu. And we're actually, we're going to have that website because one of the tasks that we are moving forward on over this next year is we are building out a series of training modules as a part of Converge because one of the things that we recognize is that 
some hazards and disaster researchers, they go to graduate school for this because they know they want to work in this space. But many people who end up in the hazards and disaster research field, they move into the space because their communities get struck by a disaster and, yeah. and end up going, oh my gosh, I already had this study going on this, but now, now I'm seeing disasters are happening in my community. And so one of the things about these training modules that we're creating is we want to help to bring students as well as researchers who enter into the hazards and disaster space for whatever reason to help bring them up to speed. And so that converge.colorado.edu website, among other things, it's going to house a series of training modules on different things like vulnerable populations in disaster, mental health impacts, of disaster cultural competence in the how do we do culturally competent research when we're mm. moving into culturally diverse communities which oftentimes that happens with disaster researchers where you travel to these different communities where you may not be culturally familiar but we're also going to have trainings on institutional review boards so how do you oh yeah talk to human subjects if you're going to collect data how do you get irb approval and so forth so a lot of that is what's going to live on on that website in addition to publications and so forth so thank you for giving the the last chance for the shout out to the awesome. center and to the converge facility well, we'll make sure to, to put links to that in the uh, the show notes for this uh this episode and of course when it gets posted on design safe we'll have links to all that as well Thank you so much for your time today, Laura. I'm looking forward to uh, working with you now that you're part of the Nary Network. And we're definitely going to have to talk more about all the great stuff you're doing, um, especially the uh, the team science focus. I'm just itching to tell you about all the things we're, we're doing with uh, our Navy SEAL buddies. So, nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been absolutely excellent. Thank you so much for running this podcast. And I have so enjoyed listening to the other researchers who you've had on here. And just this is a real service to our research community. So thank you for having the idea to do this, to bring the work to a broader audience. So I really appreciate everything you do. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we're recording this day before Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll look, look forward to uh, next time we get to talk. Yeah, same. And thank you so much. And I will look forward to that. And Thanks wish for listening you to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. Well. This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation, grant number 1612144. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please leave us a review so we can improve the show. Please also help others find our episodes in iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and support. You can find out more about NARI at designsafe-ci.org on Facebook at Design Safe Radio or on Twitter at Nary Design Safe.